Thank you for participating in worship. That was just wonderful to stand up here and listen to you sing. It just did my heart good. And mind you, he did that in abject disappointment because his Dodgers lost last night. And I've waited till this time to rub this into him publicly with great joy. <laughs> hey, one of the hardest things as you're turning to Genesis chapter 13, one of the hardest things I think for a believer to do after a fall into sin and the humiliation that that brings is to get back in the saddle and return to obedience. Anybody else been there? You, you, you know, you feel the weight of your sin. It's not that you're not repentant for it. You, you're, you're repentant for it, but you just feel the weight of that sin, and it is just crushing. And it's like, what do you do? How do you recover from that? I've tried to point out to us that Abram and Sarai were just real people like you and me. And Abram is now... At the end of chapter 12, when we left him last week in verse 20, he is sent out. Literally, he's not doing the walk of shame. He is doing the caravan of shame out of Egypt. He has been sent away from Egypt. And he's heading back north, east, to the Negeb. Abram has fallen into doubt, and it's given him a big detour. His doubt has led him to a detour, and now he's got to get back to the land of promise. Have you found that to be true in your own life, that, that sometimes this, the choices that you and I make in our life, we think are just like maybe a fast track to where we're trying to go, but really they end up being detours? That's what's happened here with Abram, and it's been a, it's been a long, hard lesson that he's had to learn. But I love what God does here. God gives us the full, if you will, unvarnished picture of Abram, doesn't he? Isn't that what we saw in chapter 12? We saw a man who faces the same temptations that you and I face. And, and, and by seeing Abram with his warts and all, we get a more realistic picture of our own hearts. I don't know about you, but after last week, I can resonate with Abram's heart. I can understand I can understand that, that he's just a real guy like me, but, but he doesn't just leave us there because God shows us in a very glorious way the faithfulness of himself. And if we're going to see one thing through the book of Genesis, it's this. Over and over, men are going to be unfaithful to God, and over and over, God's going to be faithful and keep his word. And that, that ought to give us a lot of hope because you and I are no different than, than these characters. We're no different than Abram or Sarai or, or Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and, and Rachel and Leah and Joseph. We're no different. We're going to stumble on the path. We're going to make a mess of it. But God, because He is God, and God, because He is faithful, is going to keep His word, and He's going to keep His promises to us. When we sang that last song, Be Still My Soul, when we sang that last verse, it, it, it ends with us being in glory. Isn't that a wonderful thought this morning? 
here's the thing. If it's up to you and I to be faithful enough, to be obedient enough, to be good enough, are any of us going to reach glory? No. No. But we sing about it confidently. Why? We're not confident in our own selves. I hope you weren't confident in your own self. We sing about that because we're confident in the fact that God is going to keep his promise to us just like he's kept it to all these people that we're talking about here in the scriptures. And so we come to Genesis chapter 13 and we see the long road back for Abram. We see the long road back. Follow along. We're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to, we're going to take a whole chapter. I know some of you are stunned by that. <coughs> P.D., are you well? You're going to take all 18 verses? Yes, we are. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had, <coughs> excuse me, flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Oh God. Would you just open our eyes this morning so that we can clearly see your great faithfulness, so that we can contemplate your greatness, and that we see it so well that we are changed by you, so that we, like Abram, will walk by faith, not confident in ourselves, but in you, the one true, all-powerful, omnipotent omniscient, omnipresent, holy God, and that we would walk truly by faith and not by sight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we want to 
see Abram's way back from the detour. How do you come back from a detour? And I, and I want you to see in the first four verses that it's not a coincidence that Abram goes back to a familiar place. That he goes back to a familiar place. But what's interesting is, is that when he leaves Egypt, he is foreshadowing another time when, when his people that he is the father of will also leave Egypt as very wealthy people. Is he not? Isn't it a coinc- is that a coincidence, church? No. He's foreshadowing something that's going to happen in the future. Notice in verse 2, he leaves very rich in livestock and in silver and gold. And so this is not just a typical way that you go down in the time of famine and you make sure that your, that your family is cared for and that your livestock is cared for. He leaves better off than when he came in. At the very most, he was hoping for that he would just leave the same way as he came in or that he might suffer a little bit of loss, but that he would have his life and the life of, his, of most of his animals and the life of his servants and his family and that he would get out and that he would be able to rebuild. But no, God rebuilds him even in his disobedience. Does that strike you as odd that God would do that? <laughs> now, that's not an advertisement for being disobedient. It's not an advertisement for going out and let's say, okay, God, I'm going to rebel against you and you're going to make my life great. No. But what it is is a reminder that our God does what our God desires to do when he desires to do it, whether or not we actually are complying with his plan. God knows that Abram needs to be rich. He knows he's going to need that silver and gold. He knows he's going to need all those animals But he also knows this, that that wealth is going to bring him into conflict, as we're going to see later on in this chapter. But as he leaves, as a wealthy man, he he comes then to verse 3, he comes to the place where it kind of all began for him. He comes, and as, as he's writing this, Moses says, he comes where he had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, verse 4, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. What was that altar? We saw that back in chapter 12. It was a place of worship, a place where where he stopped and and he paused and he recognized after walking through this land that God had promised to him that, that he needed to worship this God, that this God was worthy of his worship. And he just stopped there and he built that altar and now he goes back to the altar You know, when sin gets us off the path that God wants us to be on, we have to wonder, what are we supposed to do here? How do I come back? Well, you go back to where you started from. You go back to the basics. You go back to the simple things. I've had many a person come in my office, and and, and none of you would ever feel this way, I know, because it was none of you ever that did this. But I've had many a person come in my office and say, I just don't feel it. My Christian walk is not what it's supposed to be. I'm struggling, and I don't know what to do. Like I said, none of you would ever feel that way. Because you are, after all, the perfect church, right? You ever been there? Struggling. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what, I, I, I have no clue what to do. I know I'm self-aware enough. The Spirit of God's in me. I know something's not right here, but I don't know what to do to get it right. I've prayed, I've confessed my sins to God, but I'm still just like, Bleh. Anybody been there? If you've come to my office, you've heard me say this to you. 
because this is the thing that God has done in my life and it's worked for me. I go back to places in the word that I know have fed me. I go back to places in the word that I know that God has used in my life to, to if it, as it were, revive my soul or that he used early in my walk with him to build me up. I go back to books like Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians because those books, every time I go to them, God just waters my soul. Those are, if you will, where I go back to my altar like Abram goes back to Bethel and I worship God in his word there. That's where I go. Maybe for you, it's the Psalms. Maybe for you, it's, I don't know, the book of Job. I don't know. So there's somebody who probably likes the book of Job that much. I don't know. But you go back to a place in the scripture where God used that in your life to help you to grow. If that's where you're at today, can I suggest to you, pick up the word and, and, and stop trying to find deep meaning in the book of 2 Kings and go back to a, to a passage of scripture that has spoken to you. Abram goes back to that altar between Bethel and Ai, and it's not just symbolic. It's Abram going back to a place where, where he can reconcile with God and he can worship God. And what's interesting, this whole chapter is bookend by altars. Chapter or Verse 4, we've got Abram there going back to the altar at Bethel. And by the time we come to the end, Abram has picked up and he's moved to a new place. And when he gets to the new place, what does he do there? He builds an altar. He builds an altar. That's one of his highest priorities. And all that happens, even though he's not altar building wherever he goes, all that happens now between the altar in verse 4 and the altar at the end of the chapter is nothing but Abram acting in faith, which is an act of worship of our God. You see, you don't have to have a fancy altar to worship. You don't have to always be walking around all day with your Bible reading it and like, hey, I can't work, boss, I'm worshiping right now. If you're being obedient to the Lord and His call on your life, that's an act of worship. You are acting in worship. And so now... We have Abram who stumbled, just like you and I stumble in our walk of faith. And the way back for him was to go back and recognize God's greatness and get before him and just worship him. And I would submit to you, the way back for every one of us is not trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not by just trying to memorize a little more scripture. It's not by just going to church a little bit more. It's getting before your God in the word and just letting him minister to you. Go back to what it was. But what's interesting is, and I think I do this in my life, I get my life right or God gets my life right. I can't get my life right. Strike that statement. God gets my life right with him. And, and I kind of think I have this wink-wink arrangement with God like, okay, God, everything's good now. We're not going to have any more trouble for a while, right? Anybody else like that? Okay, I, I am riding high. I am back in the Word. Man, the book of Philippians is speaking to my heart, God. Everything is great, and you're not going to interrupt this with any more problems, right, God? Yeah. Look at verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Picture John Wayne. This pasture ain't big enough for both of us. They're so stinking wealthy, 
And you, we think that wealth is the answer here. Their wealth actually caused them to almost have a, a major, you know, falling out here. Wealth isn't the answer, people. But they, they have so much that they can't stay together anymore. In verse 7, there's strife between the herdsmen of Abram's flock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Think about it this way. If you're one of Lot's servants and you're keeping track of the livestock, you're like, you know, it's because of your idiot master that we had to all go down to Egypt in the first place, and now we had to come all the way back. Can you imagine there'd be a little strife? And then on top of that, verse 7, not only are they not getting along, but we find out this, there's Canaanites and Perizzites in the land. Okay, Abram's come back to the land of promise, and Moses is reminding us there's still a lot of foreigners in this land of promise. Just because you're right with God and living a life of worshipful obedience doesn't mean that you're not going to be tested. This past Thursday... The men who come and meet with me at 6.30 in the morning, we started in the book of James. Do you know that the book of James just assumes that life is going to be full of tests? Count it all joy when you meet various trials, not if you meet various trials. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. The writer of James, God is recognizing this. He's trying to warn us about something, and that's this. If you are alive, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are trying to do it the right way, guess what? God loves you enough to put trials in your path. God loves you enough to put trials in your path. And what we're learning in the book of James is, is that those trials are bringing us to maturity and endurance. In other words, Abram is now being given another chance to strengthen some of those faith muscles. God's given him the faith, but now Abram's got to do some training with that faith, and God's going to put him in the weight room, and he's going to test his faith. You know, you and I see short bank accounts and broken down cars and dishwashers that don't work, and bosses that are jerks. We see them as major crosses that we have to bear. You know what God sees them as? These are you going to my weight room to work out your faith. And if you're like me, I get on the bench and I'm under the bar and I'm like, I can't do it. It's too much. I quit. I tap out. And God's saying, no, I know how much I put on the bar and I know you're capable. I know you're capable. And so... Lot's getting wealthy, Abram's getting wealthy, and, and this economic blessing brings strife. And I want you to keep your finger here, because how many of you, like me, assume that Lot is really just a scoundrel and just a terrible guy? How many of you are like that with me? I want you to see what God thinks of Lot. Keep your finger here and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Did you know that Lot is mentioned in 2 Peter? Well, now you do. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued what? Who? What does your Bible say? Just Lot or who? Who? 
Righteous Lot? Are you kidding me? Talk about revisionist history. No, no. What did God see when He saw Lot? He saw a righteous man. Was it because Lot was always righteous in his actions, or was it because Lot, like Abram, believed God and that was counted to him for righteousness? What do you think, church? I think it's the second, right? So going back now to Genesis chapter 13, don't see Abram with the white hat and Lot with the black hat here, okay? See here two men who are in their own way and with God's direction walking by faith, but see one who's going to actually live by faith here and one who's going to live by sight, which is a lesson to us all. Even though we are righteous and God counts our faith as righteousness, we sometimes walk by sight, and that's what's going to happen here. Lot's going to walk by sight. But before we get to this, I want you to see Abram's gracious heart in this conflict, okay? Who's the one that God has been directing the whole time here? Has it been Lot or has it been Abram? It's been Abram, right? The, the record so far has been God speaking to Abram. God, you go up. Abram, you get up. You do this. You go here. You leave your father's house. And, and Lot, you can ride along, right? You can go along for the ride. And in return, Lot, as you're going along for the ride, I'm going to make you wealthy too because I'm a faithful God, right? But Abram's the one who's taking all the, the big faith steps here, right? Abram's the one who mistakenly takes them down into Egypt. We don't see Lot speaking up and saying, I think this is a bad idea. No, Lot just follows him. You're going to go to Egypt? I'll go too. Okay. Right? If we were doing this in our own logic and wisdom, would we choose the better land if we were the one in charge? How many of you would do that? Be honest. I would. Hey, you're just the nephew. You will be fine over here. I've been the one doing all the leading here. I'm taking, I'm not looking for water anymore. I'm going to the Jordan Valley. I'm not going to ever have to look for water again. Look at the heart of Abram, verse 8. Abram says to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. We're, we're kinsmen, we're family. And he says this, verse 9, okay, look around. Now, you need to understand something. You need to understand the geography of what's going on here. In that area between Bethel and Ai, it's about 3,000, elevation of 3,000. You can see a lot of it. You can see a lot of the whole land. You, you can look north, and you can see way up to the mountains up in the north. You can see down to the Negev in the south. You can see all the way to the Jordan Valley, and you can see all the way on the west to the Mediterranean Sea from where they're at. He's got a good view of the land, right? And so Abram says this, if, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And, and notice what happens when we walk by sight, verse 10. He, he walks by sight and he says this, well, this is a no-brainer, Abram. You, you really, you, you, you're really going to let me choose what I want to choose? Yes. Well, you guess what? I'm taking the whole Jordan Valley. Notice what it was described at during that time. Verse 10, it was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar, that's to the south. Okay, if you go to Israel today, 
Is that valley well watered like this? No. Not anymore, it's not. And we're going to find out a few chapters ahead what happens here. God literally torches it. <laughs> but when he goes there, it's, it's pretty much like the Garden of Eden. That's what, this is Moses' commentary, verse 10, like the Garden of the Lord. This is like the most lush place on the earth. You'd be a fool not to choose this, right? So Lot walks by sight and he says, you know what? I'm taking my, my people and I'm going to go there. <laughs> and here's Abram's response. He doesn't say it this way, but we, we can gather what his heart is saying. Because I trust in God's promise to me, I'll let you take whatever you want to take and I know that God's going to honor His promise to me, and I know I'm going to be just fine. Is that easy to do, friend? It's not easy to do at all. Faith, faith is, is not always easy, but, but what Abram is doing here is he, is he is in the weight room of faith. He is flexing his muscles, and God, and God is strengthening him. Do you realize that even in conflict, friend, you and I can emulate, emulate Christ? We can do exactly what Philippians chapter 2 says. Let me just read it to you. Philippians chapter 2, when, where, when, when, we, when we have these potential conflicts, Paul says this to the church at Philippi, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Isn't that exactly what Abram's doing here? Isn't that exactly what he's doing? He's not looking out for his own interests. He's looking out for Lot's interests. He's not grasping what's his and keeping it for himself. He's saying, you know what? You can have it if you want it because I trust that God's going to take care of me. So Lot makes this disastrous choice. He takes all of the Jordan Valley and he heads east. Moses records for us that his decision in verse 12, takes him very close to Sodom. Lot, Lot, in my mind, is a picture of a lot of believers today, a lot of believers through all of time. Believers who want to, okay, I want to love Jesus, I want to honor Him, I, I want to I do it the right way, but I want to get as close as I possibly can to what the world is doing. Know anybody like that? <laughs> Maybe it's yourself. I've been there. I, I want to love Jesus. I, I want to be well thought of in my church community. I, I, want to, I want to be thought of as somebody who knows the word. I want to be thought of somebody who's obedient. But I want to get as close as I can over here because there's something to be gained over here too. Well, there was a lot of heartache to be gained over there. We're going to find out. They separate. Lot goes east. Abram stays in the land of Canaan, and he moves his tent. <laughs> Geography is important here, as far as Sodom, verse 12. He moves it as far as Sodom, and then Moses drops this little tidbit in in verse 13. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, do you think? The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. We don't have any record of what is being said between Abram and Lot here, but, but isn't that 
Isn't that the great temptation we all face? Stay right in the, in the place of promise that God's promised us or move to the edge of that place. Get as close to temptation as possible and, and think you're the one person that's not going to be affected by that temptation. Here's what I found to be true in my own life. Maybe I'm weaker than the rest of you. Anytime I put myself close to temptation, you know what I'm going to do? I can't just get close to the cookie jar. I have to reach in. And you know what? As soon as I started moving towards the cookie jar, it was just like I had already put my hand in the cookie jar. Right? In my mind, I'm rationalizing how I'm going to be able to answer to God for putting my hand in the cookie jar as I'm moving towards the cookie jar. And I'm sure as Lot is moving towards Sodom, in his mind, he is rationalizing to God, well, I've got I to gotta be able to take care of all these servants and all these animals, and, and this is the place to do it. Yeah, I know Sodom is close. That's the danger of walking by sight. It's the danger of walking by sight. But I want you to see finally, when you walk by faith, not because you're so noble for walking by faith, but when you walk by faith, what that does is it opens the door for God to prove his faithfulness to you. Look at verse 14. On the heels of Moses saying, the men of Sodom were great sinners, look at verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, God comes again and talks to Abram. After Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. I pointed this out to you, but, but where he is standing, he, he can look and, and he can see as far north as, as Mount Hermon. He can look south and he can see the Negev. He can look all the way over and see the Jordan Valley. He can see exactly where Lot's going to. He can see the Mediterranean Ocean. He can see basically the whole land. And here's what God says. Just take a look around. And here's my promise, verse 15. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. And what does it say there, church? Forever. How long does forever last? How long does forever last? Forever. I I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say this. I think the new heaven and the new earth is going to have this same land. And I think the people of God are going to inhabit that land. Abraham's children. Because it's forever, right? If God says forever, does he mean forever? He does. He means forever. He's not lying on that. And then he says this in verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that If one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. In other words, there's going to be so many of you that are going to come from you, Abram, that they're not going to be able to be counted. He promises a land to Abram, but he also promises him a people. Now, in the coming months, when we get to the book of Romans, we're going to find out it's not just those of Abram's physical descendants that are his people. It's those who by faith (laughs) trust in God and their righteousness is counted to them by God. So in other words, 
Every time that Abram walked out of his tent and he looked down at the sandy earth, he was reminded of this. My descendants are going to be more than this sand right here. Later on, God's going to reaffirm this with him. And not only is he going to talk about the sand of the earth, he's going to talk about the stars in the sky. So even at night, when Abram looks up and he sees all the stars, he's going to be reminded. But there's one big nagging thing with this promise. What does Abram not have at this moment? He doesn't even have a son. And God's making this promise. He has no offspring now. He has no physical claim to the land, but God has promised. And isn't that that way with some of the promises we read in the Scripture? It's like, how, God, are you going to fulfill these things? I don't see anything down here that it would indicate that you're going to do this. Are we any different than Abram? No, we're not. What does Abram do in response to this? Well, God gives him a command, verse 17. Get up, arise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. In other words, take a tour. We're going to go on a little sightseeing tour here, Abram. But you're going to take everybody with you to do this. And so Abram sojourns throughout the whole land that God's promised him. He goes up as far north as Mount Hermon. He goes over and takes a little trip to the beach at the Mediterranean. He goes over close to where Lot is on the Jordan. And then he goes south. And when he's done doing that, verse 18, so Abram moved his tent, and he came and he settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I'm, I'm kind of curious, because in my mind, I'm like, why didn't you just stay at Bethel, right? Just stay at Bethel. It's where you went back. It's you reconnected with your roots. But, but here's the thing. God is directing him, and God has taken him away from Bethel now. God doesn't just always leave us where we reconnect with him. He moves us, doesn't he? He moves us. So he takes him to Hebron, and there Abram builds another altar. Lot chose the things that he could see, and we're going to find out that that did not work out well for him. Abram chose the things that, that he could not see, only see with the eyes of faith. It's not, it's not an easy way to go through life, let's be honest. It's not always easy to walk by faith. It's hard, because there's very few of us who do it, and when you're one of the few people doing it, especially when you get out in the world, and you're one of the few people that are walking by faith, when everybody else is walking by sight, it, it gets hard. It's really easy to be like the rest of the world and just complain about everything, right? Right? And isn't that the world that we live in? We live in a big, whiny world. We do. And it's really easy to fall in that trap. You know, the government's gone to pot, like it already hadn't been in pot already. You know, you know things are just breaking down. Morals are just falling apart. Everything is falling apart. No, folks, God is still in control, and God is still going to honor His promise. You say, I don't see any evidence of that, neither do I. I'll be honest with you, I don't see any evidence that God's going to turn this thing around. In fact, I know this from the Word of God. It's going to get a whole lot worse before He does turn it around, right? But I trust Him, not because I'm Joe Super Christian, 
But I know this, I've done enough walking by sight to know that it always gets me in trouble. Anybody else there? I've done enough walking by sight to know that that always ends me up in the wrong side of the equation. And when I do walk by faith, here's what I find out. I find out that it's hard, but I also find out that God, every time I walk by faith, God is even more faithful than I am. He's never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever let me down on that. Why? Because it's not up to me to perform. He's promised to be the one who performs. Let me say that again. Christian, it's not up to you to be the one to perform. Your God has promised to perform for you. All you got to do is trust Him. And so, if it's up to you and I to perform, our performance isn't going to be good enough, is it? Abram tried to perform. When he went to Egypt, that was Abram doing this. I'm going to perform. I'm going to do something good here. You know, God, I'm going to, I'm going to take this on my own. I can handle this. And when Abram tried to perform, it was a major detour in his life. You and I can walk in complete confidence. Even though we can't see the way out or the way through, because we have a God who has promised to bring us out and bring us through. Now, we may not like the way He chooses to bring us out or bring us through. God, I would prefer the easy road. Anybody else with me? God, I would prefer the way with less testing and trial. No. If you're like Abram was and you're struggling, the way, the way back is to get before your God and worship Him. Pick up that favorite book of the Bible and just let it water your soul. Don't count on your ABF teacher or this pastor to water your soul. Let God's Word water your soul. And when tests and trials come, and make no mistake, they're going to, don't walk in your own wisdom, but walk in faith in the faithfulness of God. Trust in the faithfulness of God. Even when it doesn't make sense. I mean, just think with me as we close this morning. Does it make sense at all that Abram would make this great magnanimous gesture and say to Lot, you take what you want and I'll take the rest. If I'm doing that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, you're going to honor this and I'm going to get the good stuff. Anybody else there with me? He takes that step of faith and Lot says, I will take all the good stuff and you can have the bad stuff. And it doesn't make sense. I'm sure Abram's like, but wait a minute here, God. Time out. I'm sure this is the way you were going to honor your promise to me. You were going to let me have all the good stuff. No. It all becomes clear for Abram here in a few short chapters whenever he has to, to, to take care of Lot and, and rescue Lot's sorry rear end. Right? Trust God when the situation doesn't make sense. I've learned this the hard way. Our God is the God of the impossible, right? 
And even when we can't make sense of this, humanly speaking, His plan is always right. Father, may we, may we learn from just this poignant illustration of walking by faith and walking by sight from Abram and Lot. May we, may we learn from this. And I pray, I pray for those in this room this morning who right now are just struggling. They don't even know how they got to the position that they're in. They've confessed the sin. They've made it right, but they still feel like they're spinning the wheels. Lord, I pray that you would refresh them through the word. May they, may they come back to that altar at Bethel in your word, and may they find the worship to be sweet. But I pray for all of us who are your children that we would walk by faith and not by sight. For those in this room that don't know even what that means, I pray that today that you would put it in their heart that they're lost, that they can't walk by faith because they have no faith to walk by. And that today would be the day you give them that gift of faith, we pray. Thank you for loving us enough to test our spiritual muscles with trials. May we be wise enough not to walk in our own wisdom, but to walk in faithfulness to Christ and faithfulness to you, a faithful God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.